coming up on Art Palace. That's I, I keep on asking astronauts whenever I meet them. I was like, is the International Space Station just disgusting <laughs> with stuff floating around and everything? Welcome to Art Palace, produced by Cincinnati Art Museum. This is your host, Russell Eyrig. Here at the Art Palace, we meet cool people and then talk to them about art. Today's cool person is Dean Regis, astronomer at Cincinnati Observatory and co-host of the podcast Looking Up. So it's been two and a half years since uh, we've we've chatted. So what's what's been going on with you in that time? Well, uh, quite a bit. Uh, I got into the podcast game also, just uh, kind of, uh, I don't know, maybe inspired by yours. And uh, so uh, I'm doing a podcast with WVXU and Cincinnati Public Radio called Looking Up. Uh, I have a co-host, uh, Anna Heeman. Uh, we talk about popular astronomy topics, have guests in the uh, astronomical and uh, space travel world. And uh, uh, so that's a lot of fun. And um, then lots of things going on at the Cincinnati Observatory. We've been so busy with events and uh, cool things happen in the sky. We've got uh, a lot of stuff happened in 2019 that we're really excited about. Uh, and uh, man, just uh, there's always something going on at the observatory, it seems like. Yeah, yeah. So tell me, I'm, I'm a little curious, uh, tell, tell us more about looking up because um, what, what's sort of the general like kind of format of the show? Yeah, uh, well, it started as uh, an idea that I was kind of thinking, yeah, I try to do a podcast that's kind of on uh, answering questions about astronomy, things that are mm-hmm. in the news, that kind of thing. And uh, WVXU approached me and said, yeah, we want to do something. And uh, so my first thought is, like, I need to have a, a co-host. I don't want to do it all by myself. Right. And, uh, and so I was thinking somebody outside of the astronomy world. And so I proposed we should have a, one of the, the weather whether the meteorologist be my co-host, oh, and we could okay. do like a weather space thing, right? And uh, they were like, mm, "No, that doesn't sound good at all." <laughs> so I was like, "Okay." I, well. I like that. I was on your, I was like on your side right away. I'm like, "Yeah, that sounds like a great." Doesn't that idea. sound great? I like the idea. Well, they didn't like the idea. They're like, "Weather is too uh, temporary. Like we have to record ahead of time. You can't predict the weather very well anyway." And uh, so, uh, so well, I then, guess yeah, it wouldn't be cutting edge news exactly. No, exactly. Right what was the weather like in two weeks? I don't know. I mean. They don't know what the weather's going to be like tomorrow. So it's, uh, um, so instead, then uh, I, I thought of, well, there's uh, my coworker at the observatory, Anna Heeman. And uh, so she and I would get in these like conversations in front of uh, all the other staff and volunteers mm-hmm. and drive them crazy with our back and forth banter. And so we thought, well, if we were driving our coworkers crazy, we should take that to the airwaves. And, <laughs> Surely uh, somebody else will find it yeah, interesting. <laughs> yeah. And so we did a little tryout with them, and the VXU was like, that's great. Let's do it. Yeah. Uh, and so it's been about a year and a half we've been doing this. And uh, so, yeah, the format is we uh, do kind of like a uh, did you know fact to start yeah. off with, then a chat of what's in the news mm-hmm. uh, in the, that month with some discoveries. And then we interview a guest and... Uh, then at the end, we either have uh, uh, an ask the astronomer question, kind of like a, something that, that kids would ask, even though most of the questions come from adults. Uh, but uh, Or there's uh, another uh, segment we call the crank file, 
This is the weird theories that we get at the observatory that people send us all the time. Uh, And it goes back about 100 years. There's a a file at the observatory called the crank file where we'd get letters from people saying, I have a theory about things and here's my theory. And uh, they, the old astronomers would put it in that file called the crank file. And uh, we're still not quite sure if they met crank as in the way we think of it. It's like a crank email, a crank phone call, or if it was actually the file where they put the cranks that they wound up things with, you know, like a crank (laughs) to wind up the clocks or a crank because there is a crank drawer with cranks in it. (laughs) So we're not sure which if it just happened to go in the crank file (laughs) or if they thought they were cranks. But either way, uh, so there's some real good ones from the past. And then uh, I mean, I get them like every week I get a new a new UFO report or a new uh, uh, weird sighting in the sky, and uh, so right now it's it's pretty simple. Uh, when people call up, they they call up and they start saying, "I saw this thing in the morning." I'm like, "Stop! It's Venus." Yes, because <laughs> <laughs> right now Venus is in the morning sky and super bright, and everybody's noticing it. So yeah. it's like, uh, yeah, that's that's the, that's the UFO in the sky right now, and uh, so I'll make it an identified flying object, not unidentified anymore. <laughs> Go ahead and identify that. That's one. right. I'll identify it right away. I know what it is. <laughs> so, do you remember any, uh, any particularly good crank files uh, from, well, from your time or, or one before? of uh, one of my favorite old ones was somebody advocating for uh, the base eight system. What is that? Uh, well, so we live in a base 10 system. So we have ones, tens, hundreds, thousands, right. that type of thing. They th- thought, well, that's inferior to another thing. We could do a base eight system because if you think of the number eight, you can divide it by one, two, four. You can divide it in all different ways. Right. 10 can't be divided as much. And so they thought, let's all work to the base eight system. Um, and they had a whole big paper that they wrote about this. Uh, it was dated 1922. Uh, and uh, so at first you think, all right, that's completely nuts. Just forget about it. We can't do it. But let's look at all the other things we have in our society that aren't base 10. I mean, measurement. Uh, measurement, 12 yeah. inches in a, in a foot. We've got 60 minutes in an hour. Right. We've got 24 hours in a day. There's all these weird other things, and those are base 12 systems. Right. And so the more I dug into it, I was like, you know, this is, this is pretty weird, the way that we just have these things that are just in our system. And so the base 12 things are clocks go back to Babylonian times. Hmm. So for thousands of years, that's why we have clocks the way they are, because we go on Babylonian time. That's insane. Yeah. Um, so then the other thing that I learned to, uh, boy, we're going down this tangent, but uh, that that's, was, that's the <laughs> subtitle of the show. That was going down this tangent, going down that tangent Yeah, <laughs> is um, because I learned to count in Babylonian a while ago. I don't know who taught like you me do. This. Yeah, of course, everybody <laughs> does this. And so this is hard to do, demonstrate in a podcast, but maybe we can do it with a picture is um, you take your right hand. Okay. And that's going to be your counting system. Okay. You have four fingers there, right? And one thumb. Right. So uh, how you'd count, it's a base 12 system in Babylonian. Mm-hmm. And so you have three joints on each finger. Okay. So touch your pinky with your thumb, one joint, two joint, three joints. That's one, two, three. Okay. Then your fourth finger, four, five, six, middle finger, seven, eight, nine, index finger, 10, 11, 12. So that's how you count. One, two, three, four, five, okay. six, seven, eight, nine. And so it's superior to our base 10 system with our 10 fingers. <laughs> Because 
when you're doing your trading with your, and selling your goods and everything like that, you're trying to count. You've you can do it with one hand. Okay. So you count to 12 with one hand, and your other hand is good for selling and taking money and exchanging goods right. and that kind of stuff. So you're, you can count with one hand instead of two hands. This also presumes that somebody still needs to count on their fingers up well, to 12. Well, you know, it was thousands of years ago. So, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I've seen people in, in stores today, they could use your finger. Yeah, they that's true. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm saying this like I'm a real math whiz. Like if somebody throws a math question at me really fast, I get that dull like look on my face like, oh, uh, what? Like yep. I am not prepared at any moment to solve math. Yep. So, well, that was that was that's a that's a perfect one. That's uh, I I still love that you just started to learn to count in Babylonian. Oh yeah, you know you might as well it's something else to do. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, then the most of the majority of them are UFO reports. It's like right. I saw something in the sky. What was it? And what's uh, what's funny? The most recent one is the guy said I saw something in the sky. What was it? And I, you know, I don't know. And I even admit, I was like, I'm not sure. Based on your description, I can't really tell. But I'm going to give you my best estimate or best guess of what it was. And uh, and I thought it was it was these lights that just hovered in the sky. Oh, I remember this. And so, this was, I oh, that was another one. There was always more of them. So this guy was in Florida. Oh, okay. And he saw lights there, but then he also heard about reports of sounds in Ohio. No. And he thought, okay, those have to be linked. And I was like, oh, that's a thousand <laughs> miles. And sound doesn't travel very far. <laughs> and very long distance. You yeah. saw lights and they didn't see them. But anyway, so I said, well, my best guess is they're, uh, it's uh, Cincinnati fire kites. This is a thing that's named after our city for some reason. It's uh, you, you get a newspaper, you fold it a certain way, and you put a candle under it. Oh, okay. And they float up into the air. The hot air rises right. up. They're called Cincinnati fire kites. And so that was my best guess. And I even said, I was like, I don't know. I wasn't there. I didn't see it. But that's what I, it's what it sounds like. So he wrote back and said, you're wrong. It said a number of really disparaging things, uh, questioned (laughs) my manhood and my expertise in the field. And then he said, don't bother responding. I'm going to move on. And I was like, Good, good idea. Yeah. Good idea. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the kind of things that happen sometimes when uh, they come to experts and ask for my expert opinion. When I give them the wrong answer, then uh, they uh, they yell at me. Yeah, I think one <laughs> the one I was thinking about recent. I, I mean, I say recent. I don't even remember. It's probably six, over six months ago, or whoever knows. But I remember seeing a bunch of videos online locally of this thing that at first I was like, whoa, this is really crazy. And it was these maybe like five lights in the sky and they seemed to be very like purposefully moving in a certain way. And they, and they just were really mysterious. And then I think it eventually became pretty clear. Somebody just pointed out like, oh, these were like skydivers with like flares on their suits that like were performing, like it was over the stadium or something, you know, they're doing something like that. And then when you think about like, oh, that totally tracks. And when you watch yeah. it, you're like, oh, yeah, they're only descending. Yep. Like, they're yep. falling, like, the whole time. You're like, that totally makes sense. Yeah, that's another thing. There, yeah, skydivers with pyrotechnics. It's, like, uh, another thing they're doing nowadays. But, uh, yeah, it could be drones. It could be all sorts of stuff. And it's... Uh, but, uh, but yeah, we're... You know, and then on the other hand, like, whenever I get... I, mo- the majority of the reports that I get and I answer, people are like, okay, yeah, that that's makes sense and I right. understand. And, and uh, like, uh, you know, the, the, at first, they, some of them just sound totally nuts, you know, like, there's what are they talking about? Um, so in the end, I always like try to uh, encourage them, well, uh, keep watching the skies and keep looking for stuff and you'll find all this stuff and look for Venus and look for <laughs> Jupiter. And uh, even if you don't see your UFO again, at least keep looking and uh, try to put a positive spin on it at least. Yeah. 
It is, I, I think, because what you're doing is you're you're basically destroying their dreams, right? Like you're you're ruining their their fun when you destroy this. Like the the mystery is what is fun, and if you answer it, then it's it's gone, right? Well, I think there's also, see, I've been trying to psychologically analyze these people remotely. Um, and <laughs> I think there's, there's a little, uh, ego involved too, that they mm. want to be the discoverer of something special that they want yeah. to, this to not just be explainable, whatever it was. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm curious like as to what they wanted the answer to be. Uh, yeah. but, uh, that that's that it's a it's a weird phenomenon where people come to you as an expert and when you give them your expert opinion they're like no you're wrong right <laughs> so um yeah, it's, it's, we get a fair amount of that i mean it may be less of it but it, you you you'll see that in art too like um a big one that comes up a lot is uh when we had the van gogh exhibition mm-hmm. there's a lot of people who want to like try to talk about like these theories that Van Gogh was murdered or, you know, these other ideas and, you know, we'll have like the world's foremost Van Gogh scholar on a stage talking and still somebody will ask them about it. And they're like, no, no, sorry. Like, (laughs) I I mean, there just doesn't really seem to be a lot of evidence to suggest that. And, and basically uh, all it takes is one person who sort of puts that out in the world and it kind of captures their imagination. and, And it's, it's a more exciting thing because suddenly it's like oh this thing you thought you knew oh wait mm-hmm. wait we but maybe you didn't know <laughs> <laughs> yeah and uh, that's that's one of the things that like if people see stuff in the sky then i'm like okay awesome that's great let's we'll record that information and then go out tomorrow night and see if it's there again mm-hmm. and go out so i like encourage them like hey well go see it again and so that's usually when i don't hear from them again because right. they go out and they're like oh yeah there it is again in the same spot just like dean described it yeah okay. yeah <laughs> yeah because yeah there's pretty much nothing up there i've ne- i've not seen so like uh, but i do find that um you know i, I would say that in my past, you know, when I was younger, I probably, no, I, I don't want to say probably. I definitely believed in UFOs and aliens mm-hmm. and abductions and that kind of stuff. And so even when I started the observatory, I was still going under the premise, okay, there are UFOs down there. There are aliens among us. They've abducted people, all this stuff. But since being at the observatory and I hear all these observations, what I'm finding is humans are atrociously terrible observers. They, <laughs> they cannot remember anything that they see. Um, and they say, uh, you know, for example, somebody calls in and says, okay, I saw something in the sky. Mm-hmm. First question is, when was it? They're like, well, uh, yesterday. Wait, no, two weeks ago. Wait, no. <laughs> Five years ago, my grandma saw it. <laughs> that I'm not exaggerating. This is <laughs> they 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 can't get that first thing of when was it right. that they saw it, and they said which direction the sky was it. I don't know what color was it. I'm not sure who was with you. I don't know. Did you take any pictures? No. <laughs> I mean, so it's like uh, right. so all uh, it made me it uh, like uh, with uh, Fox Mulder on the the X Files. Like I want to believe now that I'm now that I'm in this field. Like I'm like. Uh, boy, this is some X-Files trivia, but I, I feel more like Skinner now. <laughs> I used to be like Mulder. Like, I, I want to find the truth that's out there. Now I'm like, 
like Skinner, I'm like, God, these people are nuts. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, if only, oh, geez, just roll your eyes at Mulder and that kind of stuff. I mean, that's, that's, that's the, the, where I've come. <laughs> well, that's like, it's an interesting thing about memory, though, too, is, is we think of our memories as so, like, rock solid, um, and when you realize like things like, oh, it was actually my, it happened to my grandma and the way that people can take on other people's memories. Uh, if, you know, if you've heard a story told to you as, as a kid growing up over and over again, there's a certain point where you just sort of start thinking it happened to you. Yeah. That happens to people all the time where they'll describe something that happened to them and somebody was like, you weren't there. You know, like exactly, exactly. It's really easy to. I mean, our memories are so much more malleable than we think they are. Yeah, yeah. For me, it was that book, Communion, the uh, the alien abduction with the alien face on the front of the cover. Like, I really thought those. I really thought maybe those did visit me in my sleep and took me away. I mean, I was like, it was like. It's just a book, just a book. And, um, and the, the, you know, when we think of, uh, you know, some people do think that I'm part of the conspiracy, that I am a government funded uh, stooge. Uh, and I, I point to the car that I drive and say, yeah, that's that's what I yeah, they're they're paying me very, very well to live this lifestyle <laughs> right. to keep their secrets. I'm like, no. And that's the thing is that uh, they're they're. My experience is the the yeah the government can't keep this stuff secret. There's so many, there's hundreds of thousands of amateur astronomers in this in this country alone that can see stuff like this, that can record stuff like this. And what I've uh, know about amateur astronomers and love about them is, man, they love to talk about it. And so you couldn't keep uh, a amateur astronomer quiet uh, if they saw <laughs> they saw a UFO up there. And and we if we saw a good video, if we saw something that was real legit, oh yeah, we'd put it out right, there. Because right. there's a motivation too. There's also this uh, fear of a. Uh, uh, a rogue planet that is going to come and destroy the earth that the government might know about it, but they don't want to tell you because they don't want to freak you out. Like, no, amateur astronomers would see it. They, right. they discover it. There's a competition out there. Everybody wants to be the first to discover it. Right. Astronomers are cutthroat, man. Like if, if <laughs> you're not going to be the second person to discover something, if you're like, you see it and the government says, nope, don't tell anybody about it. They're like, uh, well, then the second guy will see it. <laughs> I mean, there's you're, there's no hiding uh, that kind of thing. Uh, so yeah, it's 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 really cool to work with uh, with astronomers and other amateur astronomers too because they're just there's just like passion for the subject and uh, it's uh, that's the thing. So if, if people see stuff like, hey, be part of the club, man, be part of the club and join us and we'll, we'll look all together. It's also, it, it, there is something about it that's a little bit funny too, because it's, it's like, it's a little bit like gilding the lily, right? Like you, you have to tart up this thing that's already pretty amazing. And so I can see that maybe being a, a, a little part of frustration too. It's like, you have to basically invent this other mystery around something that's already like vast and mysterious. Yeah. I don't know what you need more with the universe than, uh, but uh, I think there is this uh, thing called, uh, it's a, it's a uh, condition kind of thing called cosmophobia, Hmm. fear of death from above uh, or fear of the universe destroying you. There is this, and, and Americans have it more than other countries. Apparently we have this apocalyptic mentality. And so we love it. And uh, for it's, it's a, I think I was talking to somebody about it 
And they were talking about, oh, you know, this meteor is going to come and destroy the earth and all this stuff. And they were almost saying it with a smile. And I was like, are you looking forward to this? <laughs> and they were like, no, no, of course not. Uh, but I, I think there is this kind of thing that the, that the people are afraid of this. But like you said, there's no reason to like spice it up. I mean, you get some amazing things happening, like a uh, total solar eclipse like we had uh, about a year and a half ago. Uh, that was something that definitely happened since the last time we talked. That was, uh, yeah. that was I mean, from coast to coast, people saw the sun blocked out by the moon. It was such a great day in astronomy. And uh, I think we, we look at moments in history. We look at the, the moon landing as being this kind of inspirational moment. I kind of think that eclipse that happened in August is going to, you know, we might see it in 10 years or 20 years that people were, you know, that saw this as a kid. They saw that eclipse as a yeah. kid, and that's going to stick with them. And I maybe we'll see a lot more scientists and astronomers coming forward in the next generation. There's something, I mean, a lot of the responses I heard from people about the eclipse, especially those who went to go see the, you know, um, what's it called? Like totality. Totality. Yes, yeah. total eclipse. Because yeah. we didn't get that here. Right. Um, it's hard for us to understand the scale of these things, of the sun and the moon and the earth. And it somehow, like, puts that into perspective in a way yeah. that is is shocking and, and amazing and awe-inspiring. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that is the best event uh, that you can see. And it's uh, you're out there, and it's sunny, and then the light starts getting a little weirder, and it turns a little purple and silver, and then the there's like wavy air around you, and the yeah. and the uh, 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 crickets start chirping, and birds start being quiet, and it's uh, and then all of a sudden, I mean, in a split second, it's like the lights are out. Hmm. The sun is blocked out. The moon, you look up and there's this black hole where the sun used to be and the moon's covering it up. And these streamers are coming out from the sun and you can see some of the stars out because it's so dark and it's just like nothing you've ever seen. And and so this was my second one uh, and it's just people go nuts. I mean, they're yelling, they're screaming, they're like crying, they're all sorts of stuff because you can't describe what it's like. And then it's over like that. It's yeah. like a minute or two, a couple minutes, and then the sun's back, and and you're like, you're uh, you're in this daze. Like, did that just happen? Did <laughs> I just see that? And then then you start thinking, oh man, I got to see that again. That yeah. was sweet. <laughs> yeah, I, I was really I was really sad I missed the uh, totality this time. But I I know there's another chance soon. Yeah, yeah. 2024, April yeah. 8th, 2024, we'll be going through uh, from Mexico, Texas, up through Ohio and yeah. uh, Buffalo, and up the to that way. So that kind of that angle. So closest for Cincinnati, the view will be. Um, you go out 74 west towards mm-hmm. Indiana and yeah. then 75 north towards Dayton. So Indianapolis and Dayton get it. Right. Cincinnati gets 99, 98%, yeah. which oh, are so close. Right. But we won't have to tra- travel travel very far. Right. So. Yeah, that's that's great. Yeah, I might, 
I definitely uh, was bummed to miss that last time because after I heard people describe it, I was just like, oh, that was, you know. And, yeah. and I feel like if you just saw the, I mean, it was cool to see it, like not, you know, even what we did see here, but I think it's a very different experience. No, no. Like. Seeing 90% what we saw in Cincinnati mm. was, that's not 90% experience. It's yeah. about 1% experience. Yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah. It's pretty, it's cool, but. Um, it was just kind of like, oh, yeah, I guess it looks a little different out here, kind of. Like, yeah. you know, you just doesn't quite have the same effect nope nope it gets slight it gets slightly darker right around 85 to 90 percent mm. but uh yeah the big thing even 99 it's not the same you gotta have the 100 yeah <laughs> yeah well uh speaking of the moon <laughs> yeah i thought we could go look at a photo uh in the collection that's on view right now of the moon sounds good awesome let's go All right, we are now in Gallery 212, and we are looking at a photograph that's part of a special feature we have right now called First Photographs from the Collection, um, which is a pretty diverse group of photographs from a lot of different periods of time, all kind of being either like a first process or a, you know, a first uh, location that was photographed, and that's kind of more uh, what we're, we're hitting with this piece we're looking at which is a photo taken by Buzz Aldrin. <laughs> so the title is just Tranquility Base, seen from the orbiting lunar module Eagle Apollo 11. So um, what, do you, what, what, what were your thoughts when you first uh, saw this, Dean? Well, this is uh, the first thing I looked at was the date this was taken, and that's uh, the big anniversary coming up, yep. July 20th, 1969. So uh, that's what I wanted to see is when was this? Was it before they landed or after they landed? And so this has to be before they landed. So on their approach, uh, Buzz uh, took some pictures, and, I mean, what you see is... Uh, you know, Neil Armstrong has the famous quotes, you know, from, uh, you know, the eagle has landed mm -hmm. and this is one small step for a man, one giant leap for mankind. But Buzz Aldrin's uh, main quote, which I think is maybe even more uh, appropriate, is the moon to him was magnificent desolation. Mm. And that is what we're seeing right here. Because um, all it is is planes of rocks, rocks, and more rocks. Yeah. And it doesn't look like a very friendly place to go. Uh, this is the, the, what we see in the, the view through the telescope at the observatory. Uh, not this much detail. This is something yeah, you can't get from an earthly telescope. So this is something as you're on your way down to the moon, probably less than 100 miles up, uh, this is what you see, and just it's uh, it's kind of daunting because you look at this, you're like, oh my gosh, we're gonna land on that somewhere, and what, yeah. where are we gonna land? It's just craters, and and uh, so I, I know the the, the big uh, yeah the anniversary is coming up this July. It's the 50th anniversary of the the Apollo 11 moon landing, and I just uh, this picture really takes you there. It really thinks it puts you in the seat with them, thinking, all right, we're coming down. Uh, and, you know, as somebody who studied this, I know what happens next is that they come down to the tranquility, the Sea of Tranquility. That's what we're looking at here. Right. So that's the future landing spot. And 
They the landing it looks very smooth. So with telescopes, the Sea of Tranquility looks like this flat plane with mm-hmm. you know a piece of cake. We can land on that. It's like landing in the the salt flats or something like that in the desert. Right. Uh, but then when they get closer, uh, they see boulders are everywhere. I mean, th- on this scale, the craters we're looking at are probably you know miles across something like that so wow. we're not seeing anything very small here in fact now i see the mountain ranges in the top this is a pretty wide angle view here yeah um, and so when they get low, lower and lower they're seeing all these little boulders and you don't want to land on a boulder sideways and knock your lander off so uh, neil armstrong had to take control of the the spacecraft it was going to be automatically landed by uh, by the computer and he had to disable that and land it himself because uh, they had to uh, just keep on coming down. And, and they only had so much fuel. So uh, if they got to this spot where they didn't have enough fuel to come back home, they had to abort and go right back up. And it was they only had a few dozen seconds of fuel left by the time they landed. So it was that close to not wow. happening. So this the this picture does a does a lot for me. That's sure. It makes me think of those moments right before landing, all the things that could have happened, could not have happened. Uh, yeah, this is this is a picture of the moon before we landed. I kind of like that. Yeah, it's also. Um I was just looking at when you were talking about the scale, it made me think about this shadow that we're seeing in the corner. Yeah, that's the part that I'm really confused about because I, I was thinking, okay, that means they're almost on the ground, that we're seeing the shadow in the bottom left corner. And I'm not, I don't know how to explain that because those craters have to be pretty big. Yeah, that's <laughs> what I was thinking. I was like, it couldn't, because when you said the scale, I was sort of thinking about that too. I was like, but that looks like a shadow made by the lunar module, probably. It, it does look like that. But then kind it seems shadow. way too big yeah. for that to be. So I almost wonder is it something like in the actual frame of the, like, or inside the lunar module that's just in the frame yeah, incidentally I, or something? Uh, well, I can't tell. I can't either. And that's, that was because it, it shouldn't be the craft on the ground itself. So, uh, but it certainly looks like a shape of kind of something like that. So, yeah. now, of course, you know, Buzz is taking this picture through the glass. This is pretty thick glass as you're looking down onto this. So, uh, you get all sorts of that kind of stuff. But that's something, yeah, I'd, I'd want to know. That was one of my big questions, too. Um, so it, I would think it's got to be something inside the capsule that's making that yeah. shadow on the glass or something like that's that. That's kind of what I was thinking. Like it's just out of focus because it, the 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 fact that we're kind of it's a black and white photograph and and it's uh, you know it's it's just this sort of blurry shape. It really it reads as a shadow at first, but yeah, when you start to think about it, you're like, oh, it, it could just be something that's up close, so it's out of focus because he's focusing on the landscape and, and it just reads as a shadow. It's really hard to tell. Yeah, and I would imagine, so if that was the shadow of the lander, this had to have been taken like a couple seconds before landing and Buzz would have been pretty busy with other things at that point. Right, <laughs> right, right, right. To be able to snap this photograph. So this is, it does say it's, orbiting the lunar module eagle yeah um but yeah the size of the craters and that's that's we get this question a lot at the observatory is like so when we look through our telescope people say some jokingly some half jokingly so can we see the flag <laughs> and nope we can't see the flag because uh, the smallest crater we can see at the observatory at the telescope is about the size of cincinnati oh wow so you're looking you see this little crater and that's the size of a city mm-hmm. yeah you're not going to see a little flag there right. or footprints and that kind of stuff so um the only pictures that we have like this of the moon 
now are come from orbiting spacecrafts. There's some. Uh, there's at least one that's orbiting the moon that's taking close-up pictures. But from Earth, you can't get shots like this. And that's what was uh, extra special about the the Apollo missions is they got to get these really close-up pictures of the moon and the far side of the moon and uh, other parts that you know, telescopes just don't let you see. Yeah. And uh, one of the other things I was noticing about it is just that, that seems so distinctly moon-like or alien is that it seems different than a photograph taken on Earth is the way that shadow um, at the top of the frame just blends into, like, the nothing of black, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, there's no hint of a horizon or created by atmosphere that you would would see on Earth. You know, if you were taking a picture at night, you wouldn't have that... I don't think you would have that kind of stark black black contrast on the surface, right? Right, right. Yeah, yeah. that's that that is that's one of the, the the ways when we see it through the telescope it's the same thing. You look along the edge of the moon, that's the best uh where you see these long shadows and and there's even a couple little um islands of light at the very top that uh, those are mountain peaks that are mm-hmm. getting sunlight while everything around it's dark but yeah with no atmosphere things get dark pretty quickly and yeah. the blackness of space is, is uh, uh, pretty startling that's for sure and uh, yeah the other thing that I thought about with this was the time of you know how how daylight and night work on the moon uh, because we go to, you know, we think of let's make a moon base. We'll live on the moon, and uh, uh, people that do that are going to have to live with a weird day-night cycle. It's daylight for 14 or 15 days straight, and then dark for 14 or 15 days straight. Wow! So in this picture, you see the darkness on the horizon, uh, and when you yeah get covered over by the darkness, it's going to be dark for a long time, two and, weeks or so, and very dark. <laughs> very dark. That's right. Exactly. No sunlight, and uh, you'd be able to see. Uh, the that's the other thing we don't have have in this picture is where's the earth uh by the angle of everything here the earth would be out of the frame um but that would be one of the pluses if you're there at night on Mm. the moon you could still see the earth up in the sky right which would i guess would would presumably provide some light in the same way the moon does for us right like yeah a similar reflection of light back down yeah it would be uh yeah because uh i've tried to uh, picture that what it would be like how big the earth is up in the sky so since the earth is so much bigger than the moon the earth's size would be pretty considerable um i think it's something like on the order of 16 or 17 times bigger than the moon is from from our side so it's it's it would be a pretty big thing up there. And, um, if you stayed on the moon long enough, you could just, the earth would just stay pretty much in the same spot. It wouldn't rise and set like, uh, like our moon does cause the moon doesn't spin very fast. And so the earth would just sit there and you could just watch the earth, uh, spin very slowly. Uh, oh. if you're really patient and you just watch it spin for 24 hours, spin one time around. That's crazy. I, I, that's something you never think about. Yeah, it's called synchronous rotation. So the Earth, uh, the, the moon spins one time for every one time it goes around the Earth. Okay. So it always keeps that one face facing the Earth the whole time. So right. we only see that half of the moon. We never see the other side. That's the far side. Um, so if you're living on the near side of the moon, you would see the Earth in the sky all the time. Wow. Wow. That's See that's, where home is. <laughs> that's really crazy. Well, is there anything else about this uh, photograph you, that stood out to you? 
Yeah, I like the the juxtaposition of the you know the plane. So the the flat parts there, that's that's what we call the seas, the the, the darker areas you see on the moon when you're looking up at it, and you see like the the man and the moon kind of thing. Those dark areas mm-hmm. were the were the seas. So the sea of tranquility. They have other you know sea of serenity and all these other different uh, pleasant sounding names. There's also a sea called Sea of Crisis, which sounds less exciting. So they picked Sea of Tranquility to land on. <laughs> I guess that sounded nicer. But yeah, you see in the horizon the, the mountains too. So mm-hmm. um, all these seas were the the sites. You know, there's no water there. They just kind of look like it to people first looking through scopes. But um, they're all circular. All the the seas are very circular because they're giant craters. Okay. So we see little craters on here, which I say little as in like. <laughs> you know, a hundred miles across, but right, yeah. uh, the seas are you know gigantic craters um, where something hit the the moon with such force that it cracked the surface, and lava flowed out from the inside and filled in the giant craters. So all the seas are filled in craters, um, and so that's what we're looking at. Something that had this violent explosion a very very long time ago. And then the mountains on the, the, the horizon there, that's stuff that was shot out of the crater. So the rings around the, the, the seas are just all this ejected material that fell back to the moon. Wow. When you talk about, like, lava filling these craters and stuff, I mean, that's the kind of thing I, I was talking about earlier where I'm just like, you don't need to make this more exciting. Nope. Like, you don't need to, like, you don't need to make it more mysterious like it's insane when i hear things like yeah science fact is sometimes stranger than science fiction yeah it's uh it's hard to make up some of this stuff but that's uh that's the that's where those craters those big seas came from giant impacts a long time ago i i I really like um these these two this piece is kind of paired with another work right next to it which is a, a really interesting pairing because it's um Karnak in Egypt that was taken by a Cincinnati photographer um, in, uh, let's see, this is from, well, it's, we've sort of got a range of dates, but sometime between 1851 and 1852. So this is like really early, early photography being used to sort of uh, document this far off place for somebody to, to witness back home, basically, um, which wouldn't have been possible up up before this point. So it's, it's a really interesting mix of these two kind of framing how, you know, Egypt was just as remote as the moon at one point if yeah. you were living, you know, in Cincinnati. Most definitely. Yeah. And, um, that's, that's the thing that astronauts do today too, is they take their own photographs, which I think have a bigger impact than NASA photos. It's like, uh, you're, you're, seeing somebody's travel pictures and mm-hmm. and I always thought people hated looking at travel pictures you know like uh when I show I, I was I'm always self-conscious like oh yeah I went right. on this trip and but like I think people really do I, they think they secretly like it I don't think they like being trapped in a room with a slide projector right. but I think uh the, and because uh, some of the astronauts like um, Chris Hadfield was really f- famous for taking all these pictures with his own camera and mm-hmm. posting them on Instagram and and uh, having the kind of rougher cut ones like this one from Buzz Aldrin is is, is pretty cool. Yeah. Would you would you go to the moon? I would go to the moon. Yeah, yeah. that's that would be that would be one trip I would do. It's uh, three days to get there, uh, three days to get back. 
spend a little time on the moon. They unfortunately for Buzz and Neil, they were there less than 24 hours. They right. were they were all the the NASA handlers were kind of scared. They're like, okay, we made it. Let's get them back safe. You know, we'll spend more time the next time. Um, so it was only a week or eight day trip for them. Uh, and I like that idea of uh, quick. <laughs> two weeks max in space. Uh, going to Mars is a two-year journey, right. and I don't think I could deal with the space toilets for two weeks or two two years. Two weeks, maybe. It. <laughs> that's. I, I keep on asking astronauts whenever I meet them. I was like, "Is the International Space Station just disgusting <laughs> with stuff floating around and everything?" <laughs> They're like, "Yeah, we're we're part janitor, part spaceman. You know, like we got to clean up after ourselves." <laughs> and I was just like, "Oh." It's got to be gross. I mean, yeah. it's all glossed over in Star Wars and Star Trek. Like, nobody ever goes to the bathroom in those things. But um, Well, and, and they just explain it. Like, there is no sort of explanation of the gravity issue no, either in no. those two. I mean, that is, that's something I never even would have thought about. I mean, I, the idea of just sort of dust and debris and things like that, that you're, it's actually helpful when it falls to the floor and you can sweep it up a lot easier, right? Yep, than than yep. being loose yep, everywhere. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I, I'd be in for a two week journey, uh, going to Mars. Nope. No, thanks. Too, too far, right. too, too dangerous, but, uh, yeah, sign me up. I'd do it. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for looking at this photograph of the moon with me. My pleasure. This is a lot of fun. Thanks, Dean. Thank you for listening to Art Palace. We hope you'll be inspired to come visit the Cincinnati Art Museum and have your own conversations about the art. General admission to the museum is always free, and we also offer free parking. The special exhibition on view right now is Collecting Calligraphy, Arts of the Islamic World. And don't miss the special feature that Dean and I visited today. First photographs from the collection is on view until February 3rd, so you only have a few weeks left to see it. Do you want to improve your painting skills? Sign up for our weekly studio class on painting that takes place on Thursday evenings in February. This all-ages painting class is taught by a professional artist, and class fees are only $20 for members and $40 for the general public. For program reservations and more information, visit CincinnatiArtMuseum.org. You can follow the museum on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, and also join our Art Palace Facebook group. Our theme song is Offrande Musicale by Bacalao. Do you listen to the show regularly but have never written a nice review? If so, stop what you're doing right now and do that. Write me a review. Unless you're driving. Keep driving. I'm Russell Eyrig, and this has been Art Palace, produced by the Cincinnati Art Museum. <laughs>